Welcome, dive buddies. This is Scuba Ghost Under the Sea, the podcast for the inquisitive diver. Hey there, dive buddies, and welcome to season four of the Scuba Goat podcast. I'm excited to kick it off with Dan Johnson, co-owner and captain of the MV Fabrina, which is based in Papua New Guinea. Dan explores the vast scuba diving playground, which is known for its incredible diving opportunities and unique marine life based out of Willindy Resort, New Britain. And today, he shares his insights and experiences from captaining the MV Fabrina and diving in such a beautiful location his professional journey that brings him to P&G, and what he has planned for the future of the MV Fabrina. Get ready for an adventure-filled season of the Scuba Goat podcast. I followed you on Scuba Goat with the uh, Oceania webpage. Uh, Not webpage, uh, Facebook page. I actually got admin to it, so I'm now a fully updated admin administrator of the Oceania Facebook page, which is fairly scary because I have absolutely no idea how to use Facebook. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I'm now petrified. I'm going to press a button and delete everything that everybody has ever done on it. So that's fun. Uh, Mate, I I wouldn't even try getting down that rabbit hole. It's um, I've got like, I've got Facebook for Nomadic Scuba and obviously for Scuba Goat. Yep. And um, then I've got the Instagram and Metaro and everything. And um, it, it's nothing short of a fucking nightmare, quite frankly. Um, I, horrible. I, living in Papua New Guinea, you might as well live in a cave. Uh, yeah. Technology, you know. <laughs> if you can get internet, well, yeah, it depends on how cloudy it is and uh, what's going on in the world at the time. Uh, yeah. yeah, how many earthquakes I've had recently? Always <laughs> oh, a good one, mate. Yeah. When we when we were well, when I was living at uh, Tufi, um, the cell tower that was the only cell tower near us was um, diesel generator yep. ran. Um, so the locals <laughs> okay. ran out of diesel and thought, "Fuck it, I need a bit of fuel." They go nick it, and that's it. <laughs> no internet. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. We completely understand that. The bloke next door to uh, the resort who had the tower on uh, his property would sell the diesel for the tower to the local PMV cars uh, coming up and down the road. <laughs> they'd all, you'd see him nip down to his place and then they'd, he'd be there, fill them up with the uh, Digicel fuel and they'd bugger off and then we'd lose all phone reception for a week. <laughs> You've it's got to love special. it, you? It's special, hey. It's real special. <laughs> so what were you doing over in uh, Tufi? You weren't managing um, it or well, something? No, no. There was the resort manager and his wife, and then um, I was running the dive operations and boat side of things. Oh, yeah. What was the uh, name yeah. of the, uh, the resort manager at the time? It wasn't Simon, was it? No, no. Simon was long gone. Um, I know Simon, though. Um, yeah, nice guy. I had, um, yeah, yeah. I had um, Tony Honey's uh, brother was in looking after the place when I got there. And yep. then um, Brian um, uh, Brian came in with, with Royer a couple of weeks after I got there and he, he took over as the, the manager of the resort. Okay, yeah, no, I've ne- yeah. not met them. Um, yeah. <laughs> Good, yeah, a good a, a good giggle. Uh, they're like, yeah. a, they're like a glass glass of red, and 
Uh, you know, <laughs> doesn't uh, everybody? <laughs> doesn't always like you in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> awesome. No, okay. Yeah, so how long were you there yeah. for? Um, I think well, the visa was for a year, um, but because of all the political faff and getting the paperwork, I think I was 10 and a half months or just short of 11 months. Um, yeah. It felt like a year, though. Um, yeah, I and definitely was, would was, do that. Yeah, it was awesome, to be honest. It was really, really good. But, um, you know, at that time, I was a single bloke, and um, there was only one bar, which was the um, resort bar. Resort bar. And if there was no guests in, everyone would bugger off home. So, at, you know, 6, 30, yeah. 7 o'clock at night, you're sitting around with a thumb up your ass and not a lot to do. And no, and no internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. But it was on the, on the on the professional side of things. It was absolutely fucking awesome because um, the owner, uh, Tony, you know, when, yep. we, when he first took me on, I was keen as mustard to get out there and have a look for new reefs. And that's exactly what he said. You know, if there's no one around or if you get the opportunity, the boat out. And find some more. Spread the yep. word, get as much as you can. Yeah, so we, we, we um, me and the, the local DMs, uh, we went out and explored another 12 reefs and... You know, it was it was quite nice to to map it out with the boys and get all the coordinates done, but also to put their um, the the local family names on the reefs. Uh, oh, okay, which, um, was quite a quite a big deal for the boys. It was um, yeah, it was nice. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. Have cool. you been there yet? Yes, I have been there. Uh, unfortunately, I heard what they've uh, they dredged the uh, they dredged the harbour. Uh, to me, I was there uh, before they dredged it, and I still reckon that is one of the top muck dives anywhere in the world. Definitely in Papua New Guinea, I was blown away the by d- it. Dredge, dredge the harbour. Mm-hmm. You mean the where the where the dive shop is? Yeah. So you got the little dive shop down at the bottom of the uh, wharf. Yeah. There, you had the P yeah. uh, the PT boat down at 50 metres, whatever, had all of those old drums from the Second World War, all the 44-gallon drums, the uh, land cruiser or the jeep, whatever it was, up in the shallows, uh, all the mandarin fish there and everything. Yeah. That entire area has been dredged. When was that done? Uh, two, three years ago, apparently. Say again, sorry? Two or three years ago, apparently. Oh, really? Fuck. Yeah, and apparently. yeah, I, I used I used to jump in there, and um, in fact, there's a very very good photographer from Singapore. Uh, shout out to Catherine Liu. Um She would jump in there. She was there for a week, and every single night she'd be in yeah. underneath the wharf, and yeah. she'd be down for an hour, two hours, just getting all the macro. It was yeah, just phenomenal. Fish for, yeah, for nighttime macro. Absolutely unbelievable dive, and they uh, yeah they dredged it. Yeah, yeah it broke my well, heart. Well, the, when I found the out. PT boat actually. I think the PT boat had actually uh, disappeared uh, into the into the sands. Um, I went down to take uh, Kevin Green, the captain of of Taka, mm-hmm. uh, jumped in there to take him down to see it in 2019, and um, it was it was gone. Um, so it was already you know the only photos I got of it um, were of the of the ribs and the skeleton with the with the um, gun the, the gun on the top Man. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah but, but that's completely all gone. gone. Oh wow! Mm. Okay, yeah. 
Well, that's a shocker. Dredging it. Bloody yeah. hell. Yeah, apparently they dredged it. This is all second-hand information. I've not had the uh, opportunity to jump back in there in uh, the last few years. Uh, I think the last time I visited Toofy was back in, oh, blimey, uh, 2012 or so. So about a decade ago. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, mm, beautiful and, location. And the outer reefs. I mean, we'd, yeah. Well, I got told about the um, leucistic hammerhead you know, the rumours of. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I was... Uh, Always kept your eyes open. To ca- yeah, Did you see it? captured some video footage. Oh, and, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah. Very cool. And it's not just not just one animal either. I, I counted four individuals, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Very, very mm. cool. Did you, uh, did you get yourself over to the Jacob? I did, yeah. Ah! That's. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. No, Brian and I, Brian and I went and dived it. Um, yeah, probably about middle way through my term, and um, just to get some some footage. And lo and behold, you know, we go down with the camera, and uh, both cameras go tits up. So unfortunately, it was experience only, um, but it was, and is an exceptional um, wreck. And it's yeah. one that I want to revisit and, and get some proper data, get some proper footage done. Yeah. Um, so one day. Um, but that was, it was because of the, you know where it lies. I mean, uh, to everyone who's listening, the SS Jacob was a, a merchant ship in the war that sank. And um, it's huge. And it lies offshore away from all the reefs. So it's just on sand. And the, I think the, the I think the seabed is at around about fifty seven, fifty eight meters, something like this, maybe even a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, but because it's out on the sand on its own, the, the 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 quantity of fish that it attracts is insane. I couldn't believe it. Um, huge schools of literally everything you could think of, um, you know, um, apart from the ticking the bucket list items like whale sharks and mantas and stuff but uh huge huge barracudas and um you know um massive shoals of reef fish absolutely awesome did have you had the opportunity to dive it as well no unfortunately not that is uh one of the dives that i've been trying to try and work out in my schedule of the way of just skimming past it and uh, the problem is, as you said, it's 58, 60 metres to the sand there. And um, mm. as a recreational dive vessel, we're all diving on night drops, 32%. So, you know, you head down to uh, your 40 metres, you're sort of pushing your boundaries as it is. So, uh, yeah, mm. unfortunately not. But I, I imagine it's going to be on the same par as the Ongala, except bigger and better. Uh, in yeah, every possible I, manner. Mm. It's huge. It's ridiculously huge. Um, I loved it. Um, but even, you know, for recreational depths, I can remember, you know, slowly coming back up and um, at around 30, you can still see the entire ship. It's it's fantastic. Mm. Yeah. What about the um, what about the blackjack? Have you managed to do the blackjack? Yes, they took me down to the blackjack when I was there. Uh, it's a very long boat ride from Tufi is the main thing I remember about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a long ride from anywhere. It, it seems to be it's right in the middle of Tuwali and Tufi, isn't it? So uh, 
yeah. You, you know, you've got a long ride either direction. Uh, the funniest thing was uh, during COVID, uh, the Oceania went there. And of course, I wasn't on the boat, and they all went down there. They've done several dives on it. So my dive guides, of course, know it better than I do. And that's why these dives, I jumped in, <laughs> spent 10, 15 minutes on it going, ah! And, uh, <laughs> and then came back. And then, of course... My, my bloody boat goes down there and everyone jumps in and has a epic time on it. So, uh, yeah, again, it's to be revisited. Uh, Don Silcox has been trying to convince me to take the boat there. I might, uh, yeah. I might swing past it because uh, we're doing a one-way from Millen Bay, which Don's on, uh, Millen Bay round to Rabaul. And uh, so mm-hmm. there's a very good chance I'm going to throw that in as one of the early morning dives type of thing and uh, give everyone 28% something like that to uh, just make it a bit more accessible uh, to the divers yeah and, uh, yeah go off and have some fun well you know if you if you need an expert dive guide for that particular <laughs> dive um, I'm more than willing to come back up seeing as I'm the, the the owner of the best video footage that there's currently out there for the blackjack Oh, uh, true. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. No. Uh, there's. Oh, I'm trying to think of Don's uh, friend. He's uh, doing all. He's doing all the uh, cinema, uh, cinematography of it, doing all 3D exposures and everything. Have you seen any of the shots Don's recently been doing uh, with his friend? His name escapes me. Not the yeah, not the not the three D stuff. Um, but I am catching up with Don next week over a few beers. So he's he did tell me he's got a lot to talk about. So um, oh, I'm sure that's filling me in on all that kind of stuff. It's amazing. It truly is. Uh, I'm trying to get him up for a chart to do uh, the Rex in Rabal, and because uh, mm. for what they're doing, you know, obviously they want a highlight if they're going to charter the boat. It's like oh, we've got to go down to the blackjack. It's like have a look at Rabaul. We've got the twin tanks. Uh, there's plane wrecks everywhere. You know, if you go down to the blackjack, you have the one wreck, and that's just the blackjack. Mm. And yes, it's an awesome wreck. But then we have a dozen plus wrecks in Rabaul, which we can easily access, and uh, I think would be absolutely awesome for what they're doing. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I had. Um, there's another good mate of mine, Miko Parsi. He's based out in Thailand and was part of the Thai Cave Rescue. Mm. Um, and we were talking about coming up, or he was asking me about um, doing the the blackjack some years ago, just before COVID, actually. Um, and that's all 3D. Um, what's the what's the phrase for the photography? Um, okay. Let's have a look. I should know it by now. I've had so many people on the on the podcast talking about it. Um, I'll find it. I'll find it. Mm. Yeah, but he was he was asking me about it because that's exactly what he does, um, and he, he's he's doing a lot of deep wreck exploration and and, and wreck finding, and um, this is the stuff that they do. They go down and do all of this photography so that they can get the three D element of what it's actually looking like. Yeah, a flat image, and then they do all the layers, and I know they've uh, they were up doing the mini sub, uh, the top of New Island, and some of the images they've got from it, uh, just phenomenal. That's what, yeah, that's what he was. 
He was just up there recently doing that, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, literally before he came over and saw me uh, at the end of the, or in the middle of December. So he would have been there at the beginning of December doing it. And let's let's take it back a little bit, how you, you know, took all these steps through to where you are now. So you say, was it 2015 you became an instructor? 2004. Uh, 2004. 2004. Became an instructor. Yep. Uh, 15 years now, is it? Yeah, something like that. Uh, 16, 17 and years as an instructor. Not very good at maths. Okay. I need fingers. That's all right. So um, where, where were you, or where did you learn, actually? Where, take it right back to the start. Where did you first jump in the water and give it a go? Uh, it was a very, uh, so my first time on scuba was in a swimming pool in England uh, many, many years ago, just as I, uh, I don't even think I was a teenager at the time. Uh, but I did all my open water training, my advanced, uh, all in Thailand uh, before it became popular. Uh, okay. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, I was um, Ko, Kopanyang. Uh, Kopanyang? Yeah, Kopanyang, that was it. Uh, there was only three okay. dive centres on the island when I learned to mm. uh, dive there. I think it's now got more dive centres than people, from what I understand. I've not been <laughs> back in a long are time. You, are, you, are you sure it was Kopanyang or Kotao? Kotao. Yes, yeah, Kotao. Kopanyang. Yeah. Coast of Mui is the party islands. Nope. Coast of Mui is the one that's all built up with all the modern stuff. Uh-huh. And you've got Kopanyang, which is where you go for the full moon party and everyone gets fucked up. Yeah. And then got you've that. got Kotao, which is where everyone goes to go dive in and get fucked up. Thank you. That is me. <laughs> <laughs> the, the latter option. Yeah. Kotao. Thank you. There you go. It was a long time ago. Uh, I was on my honeymoon, actually. My first honeymoon. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was very. My ex, my first wife was uh, very, very kind and uh, let me go and do my dive course. Uh, unfortunately, she was a non-swimming asthmatic, and uh, probably oh, that's what, that's probably what pushed me to become a full-time instructor. Uh, was I knew after I broke up with her, it was the last place I'd ever meet her. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and yeah. so far it's worked pretty well. <laughs> Do you remember which um, dive shop you were at? Big Blue. I, I, no. Yep. And seriously, yeah, Big Blue. There was uh, you had Buddha View, Big Blue, and then there was one on the opposite side of the island, which I can't remember remember the name of. But uh, I was Big Blue. I actually had a picture of me many, many years Mate. ago with all of the guys uh, in the background in the shop. Uh, what, wait there one second. Let me see if I can find it. Hold on. Well, I've, I've lost your video stream at the moment anyway. Oh, that's cool. That's okay. Yeah. This is... Uh... Um, yes, Big big Blue is a big part of my heart. I was, uh, I was permanent staff there. Oh, true. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's... Um... Can you see anybody there in the picture? No, I've 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 lost your video feed, mate. Oh, fantastic! That's a that's a terrible shame. Okay, so there was a yeah. I think it was Swedish from memory, uh, Stefan or okay. something. And oh, uh, you're back. Oh, okay. There you go. So 
Do you recognise anyone there? Um, it's a bit blurry. I can't make it out. Is that a, that's a tall, dark fella in the middle at the back, isn't it? The tall, good-looking one with the bleached hair. That's me. <laughs> 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 the one with the red hair. Yeah, no. That that's my uh, first wife, and yeah. uh, that fella there. He was, yeah. I believe, was the owner or uh, manager of the shop at the time. Okay. Uh, this would have been going back. Um, oh, blimey. I don't know. Uh, how many years ago was this? Uh, when I first train up. Uh, when did I first get married? It would have been late, late 90s. 1998, maybe 97, yeah, around then. Yeah. Well, the the guy that um, the main owner of um, Big Blue, uh, mm. Michael, he's a Swedish guy, and um, he uh, apparently, Michael. apparently, what he what he did was uh, he, he visited Kotal, fell in love with the place, oh, legged it back place. home, got a small, lo- yeah, legged it back mm. home, got a small loan, and went straight back to Kotal and opened up Big Blue. So he was, I, I, I'm not entirely sure if they were second or third, but um, they think, were in the first three of the dive shops. Yeah, I think Budaview yeah, was, was Co- the first one. No, nah, the other way around, I think. Kotao Divers was the original, okay. which is the one that Miko now owns. And I think, I think Budaview and Big Blue opened up more or less relatively the same time. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so Michael, bless him. Um, he, well, he passed away this time last year, unfortunately. Oh, um, yeah, lovely, lovely fella. And um, he went on to be a very, very successful businessman with lots of other businesses. And even with the uh, pandemic hitting, all that kind of thing, the very last thing that he would allow to disappear off his portfolio would be Big Blue. His heart was always in that original shop, which is cool. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's a, mm. yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's going back a few years, though. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a very small world, you know. This this podcast bringing us together. Never spoken to you about any kind of your diving background, and lo and behold, you 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 learn in the place that I used to live and work and love. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. No. Cool. <laughs> there you go. It's six degrees of separation, isn't it? It is. It is. Mm. getting smaller every day. Really. So after after Big Blue and kicking out the first wife and becoming an instructor, did you did you teach back over this way or? Um, uh, how did you I came to PNG? So I came uh, came to play, uh, came to Australia. Uh, did my mm-hmm. dive masters uh, and instructors worked for uh, what's the company? Pretty much every company in Cairns actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, I jumped between boats and uh, always having fun. Uh, but my main yeah. employer would have been um, oh, Deep Sea Divers Den. Uh, and that was where I was doing a lot of my teaching. Then I went over to Pro Dive. Uh, and then I got onto the liverboards. And uh, that's where I really enjoyed myself. Uh, in between that, I shot over to Mexico for a little bit of time. Uh, in Playa del Carmen, where I did a lot of my tech diving or cave diving and everything, started a small dive business mm. there, which oh, didn't okay. go quite to plan. Um, a couple, 
couple of things in the life I've learned is never trust a fat Mexican. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're just not meant to be fat. <laughs> if they're fat, they're ripping someone off. Uh, and never. And the old. Uh, and the other one was like a nineteen sixties porn star, big moustache and everything. And uh, yeah, that just went horribly wrong. Uh, took me and my mate for uh, quite a bit of money. Hmm. And uh, but we, we we struggled on and. Uh, I believe he's still going. Uh, Reef Quest Divers out in uh, Playa del Carmen. Uh, if okay. anyone's around uh, or over there, say good day. His name's Steve. Uh, uh, say good day to him for me. And um, yeah, I, I sort of cracked it after about uh, 15 months and decided to uh, call it a day. It was just just a bit too hard there. Uh, had a lot of partying. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> very treat drinks and spring break all the rest of it uh, it was it was playing up to the wrong side of my personality let's put it that way uh, and so I came back to yeah. Australia uh, where I met my second wife uh, and we ended up uh, I was working out on the old Nimrod Explorer out on the uh Coral Sea, uh, doing Bougainville, uh, Osprey, and the Ribbon Reefs, and those runs. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I've uh, we decided, uh, you know, let's get a job together, and uh, we put our uh, resume out in the uh, world. And long story short, uh, we've ended up at Papua New Guinea uh, at Willindi Resort. And, oh, nice. uh, yeah, I remember Max saying to us, "It's like so we went there, you know, as you do when you first rock up to PNG." Uh, she arrived a week earlier than me. I, was, they, I think they were using my passport to prop up the table, uh, so my work visa didn't come through <laughs> at the same time, obviously. Uh, and so I remember my first experience coming into Papua New Guinea uh, was. It felt very surreal to me back then, uh, back in two thousand eight. This would be. And, you know, hmm. uh, I got off the plane and it's like, right, okay, this is interesting in Hoskins and the bus has come, picked me up and uh, driven us out of the airport. And as we're driving down the road, I've looked out to the window. And I, I kid you not, we were four or 500 metres out of the airport gates and there would have been a kid, probably six, maybe seven years old, and he's standing there with bush knife holding it like it's a broadsword how do you imagine the old knights to be in the uh, in the mid mid-century type of thing holding this bush knife like this and i've just gone oh my god we're not in oz anymore dorothy <laughs> are we uh and that was my first inception impression of Papua New Guinea was this child with this giant bush knife which i would never have been allowed to play with as a kid uh, probably for good yeah. reasons. Um, and that is how I ended up in Papua New Guinea. Uh, went there, worked for uh, Max Benjamin at the Willinda Resort as a dive manager for five years. And, uh, yeah, he asked he, he asked him, like, what are you looking for? What would you want from us when we got there? He went, oh, you know, a year would be good. And, uh, yeah, five mm-hmm. years later... Uh, we said goodbye and parted ways, uh, and not in a bad way. Uh, obviously, I'm back there yeah. now. Um, 
yeah and uh, then obviously my career progressed i came back to australia did all my uh tickets uh engineering ticket captain's license and everything else and uh ended up driving the tacker uh and the reef boats out of uh cairns uh taking the t- i uh when they sold the tacker they basically sold me with the boat uh been there for two <laughs> years working as the engineer and as a first mate and they went right uh we'll buy the boat and can we have him and uh, they basically mm. went yeah sure so i started the boat over there and uh spent just under two years on the uh tacker and solomons uh which was an adventure in itself so uh yeah after coming towards the end of the two years i got the phone call from uh max and alan it's oh we've got a great idea and it's like, great. Well, what is it? Uh, how would you like your own boat? I was like, ah, uh, yeah. So um, <laughs> this is why I'm here on your show now. I said yes at the wrong time. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> about two years before the pandemic hit. Uh, <laughs> so I had a year to spend a lot of money and uh, and then about a year to make a little bit of money back and then three years or two and a half years of uh, pandemic, uh, yeah. <laughs> which would hurt any new business. Uh, so, yeah. yeah no. uh, but, you know, we, we made it through thanks to a lot of hard work from uh, the guys in uh, Papua New Guinea, uh, a great team that's mm. behind the Oceania. Uh, big mm. thank you to all of those guys who made it uh, possible for us to still be here and operating. Yeah, 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 and we've got to, we've also got to give a, a big shout out. Picked up on the Max Benjamin, uh, bless him, he's he's passed away now as well, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, but I think in the in the in the diving element of Papua New Guinea, you've got to stick him right up there on the pedestal as as one of the founding fathers of why people go to Papua New Guinea to dive now. One hundred percent. Unfortunately, he passed away uh, about three four months into the pandemic. Uh, nothing yeah. COVID related or anything like that. Um, but yeah, and that was, oh, timing is everything. Um, yeah, uh, so he passed away. But truthfully, the marketing, his, he wasn't just there talking about Willindy. He would never talk about Willindy per se. He would mm. always talk about Papua New Guinea. He yep. he went over there. Oh, oh God, Cecily will shoot me if I get these numbers wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> approximately 40, maybe 50 years ago as a Diddyman, uh, so an agricultural mm-hmm. officer. Uh, he worked for New Britain Palm Oil and uh, him and Cecily uh, bought a plot of land it's about 200 hectares or something like that uh where the willindy resort now sits uh and from what i understand they were off diving in the red sea uh saying ah because the red sea was the best place in the world to go diving and the pair of them are there going we've got better better out on the uh reefs in front of us than what they've got here and they really did uh and that was when they changed everything and decided to become a dive uh destination 
and his years of hard work and promoting the country as well as promoting obviously uh, Willinda Resort uh, was yeah just unbelievable uh, a very clever man very passionate about the reefs he's one of the reasons uh, Papua New Guinea has environmentally friendly moorings throughout the entire country you would have seen them yourself uh, maybe even put a few of them in with the big drilling machine which uh, there's two of them in the country which goes around uh, and if someone needs to put a few new moorings in you take it out you drill a hole you stick a steel pin in and fill it up with cement and so you never have to drop anchor anywhere so the uh, entirety of the reef system is looked after and managed unlike anywhere else in the world Um, Mm. you know it's a fantastic system and that is thanks to Max Uh, the whole Papua New Guinean Dive Association was founded by Max and unlike so many other countries uh, where you have a lot of operators who sort of butt heads uh, Papua New Guinea is not one of those places Uh, it's given us freedom to roam uh, on the liverboards uh, with no one Oh, there's feedback. <laughs> uh, is that? Can you hear that? Yeah, yeah, I can hear that. Yep. Okay. While we sort out that annoying background noise, let me just proudly announce that the Scuba Goat Podcast has been ranked among the top three percent of podcasts on Listen Notes, a platform that hosts over three million shows. This is a huge accomplishment and a reflection of the hard work and dedication that goes into producing the show. And of course, the support of all of our listeners. So I want to express my gratitude to all of you who tune in, share our episodes and leave us with ratings and reviews. Quite honestly, we couldn't do this or I couldn't do this without knowing that people want to listen to the content we produce. So thank you to all of our guests and more importantly, all of you listeners out there, you absolute bloody legends. Uh, we're talking about the late departed Max B. Yeah, bless him, bless him. I never, unfortunately... The legend in his own lunch break. Yeah, unfortunately I never had the opportunity to meet him, but um, I've certainly done a fair bit of chatting with um, with the staff at Willindy, uh, with sending customers up there um, through my little travel company. Um, but yeah, 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 it's a shame. I would have loved to have met him. Uh, he was a very passionate man and a very intelligent man, uh, to be said. You know, he, uh, yeah, and it was all very much about Papua New Guinea and the diving that we have there. Uh, the one thing you could always upset him with, uh, if you ever mentioned the no word, which was uh, bleaching, uh, he would go completely nuts. It's. <laughs> uh, and it used to drive him mad that Noah would always put up each year, oh, mass bleaching event, and we never had any bleaching. We had a few signs of stresses here and there, mm. completely natural. But no one took into account that the ocean rat, uh, the Bismarck Sea is the warmest ocean in the world. Mm. It runs on average between 27 and 33 degrees, mm. you know, as a year-round temperature. Uh, so yeah, he used to drive him nuts. Yeah. And uh, a, a strange fact about uh, Mr. B uh, was that he was actually a honourable 
Mr. B. Go on. He was, uh, I think, I think he was knighted or something uh, for an order of Papua New Guinea. Oh, really? Uh, for yeah, he, he never, never mentioned yeah. it. You know, he was uh, that was, uh, but that was Max uh, all round. He was never one to blow his own trumpet type of thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's what that's yeah, where you find the best uh, people. People with humility, high levels of humility, are the ones that are the best people to be around. Oh, 100% where I just humiliate myself <laughs> regularly. Uh, <laughs> is, is, is that the same sort of thing? Yeah. Uh, bang on, mate, bang on. <laughs> yeah, pr- pretty much, eh? Pretty much. Oh, dear. Well, let's uh, let's catch up from what yeah. we were talking about. Um, so, Mr. B, uh, he got in touch with you and about MV Oceana. Yeah, well, uh, at the time it was uh, so Max and uh, Alan, the uh, my other business partner, uh, decided that they uh, wanted to run a. They believed the market was uh, strong enough for a second vessel to uh, go into the marketplace yep. in Papua New Guinea. Yep. Uh, they tried once before with the Star Dancer and uh, being a franchise and everything else that that entails, uh, ran into trouble with that. Uh, so I got the phone call, and uh, they said, um, you know, we'd like like you to come over and be a partner in uh, starting a new dive uh, venture. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so that's how uh, the Oceania came about. Um, yeah, they weren't interested in doing it with anybody else, so that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh they said that I had the right qualifications and was just mad enough to actually possibly accept an opportunity like this. Mm. Uh, you know, basically, I think my sort of qualifications were I went into business or I would go into business with the two maddest people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> uh, I could dive, I could build, and I could drive boats. And, and, and you're slightly mad yourself, so it all goes together. <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, there is definitely a degree of madness uh, to work in a place like Papua New Guinea, as you know yourself. Mm. Uh, if you aren't mad, but when you go there, you will be mad by the time you leave. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got to be said that Papua New Guinea is very much a, an emerging country still. And um, there's a lot of people that want to try and escalate or, or um, accelerate that modernization of the country. And I, I'm massively against it. I think that the beauty not only the physical beauty of the country, but the beauty of being in Papua New Guinea is that it's it's decades behind where we are now, which gives it that charisma and uh, its its unique qualities. I absolutely fucking love it, and I don't want it to change. I I agree. Uh, to me, being there every day presents its own challenges. Nothing is boring. You don't get up at nine, come home at five, doing the same stuff. Mm. You you get up when you get up and you go to bed when it's all done. Uh, and it could be something which is so simple to achieve in Australia, but yet you don't have the resources, you don't have uh, the technology, you don't ha- necessarily have the training in place uh, to make these things doable. So you make it work. And I love that challenge about it. Um, mm. it, it's mm. yeah, as I said, uh, it's awesome, 
uh, and it's very challenging. Uh, logistically, running a business in Papua New Guinea yeah. is a nightmare. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know, everybody thinks, okay, it's Papua New Guinea, we're a developing country, uh, things should be a lot cheaper. Uh, except Papua New Guinea doesn't make mm. anything. They make billums and grow betel nut yeah. uh, and oil palm. <laughs> uh, yeah, and there's also there's also that major factor of logistics of getting all the shit that you want. So you you've got your customers that want Wi-Fi and they want long distance range on your boat. Where's the fuel coming from? Where's the connectivity coming from? It all yeah. costs. That that simple liter of fuel that could be a dollar or two over here is four or five dollars over there because it's got to be flown in or boated yeah, in by barge. Everything shipped up there. Uh, you know, the, the, even O rings for the dive tanks. You know, here here they are, five six mm. cents each uh, for me to get them to then get them shipped up to Papua New Guinea, uh, cleared customs, all the rest of it they double triple in price just for a simple o-ring which will burn through mm. so many in a day you know uh that that's the simplest thing i could actually think i could pick you then go on to maintaining a vessel mm. to a high standard and to make sure that everything is always working uh carrying all the spares and the entire work basically an entire engine room uh in a forward cabin um because i can't yeah. just come back to port and expect there to be a row of fleet engineers from different companies who will jump on with all the right bits to fix the boat uh when i yeah. finished the uh the uh debut show in germany uh i'm going back up there uh, back up to Papua New Guinea uh, beginning of February and relocating the vessel mm. from uh, Kimby Bay, which is where we're based out of for about 60-70% of the year, down to Millen Bay uh, for two months. And that on its own uh, presents a whole new set of challenges because I lose the, the small support infrastructure that I have at Walindi uh, with logistics, my own mm. vehicle, and uh, the workshop, uh, guys who know everything works on the boat, to a place where I'm away from home for the next two and a half months with no support. Um, yeah. it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I've been madly planning this. Uh, we've madly planned this trip and we've got new generator going in and all sorts and the hope is that everything holds together for the next two months without any problems if not then it's trying to get skilled labor in and trying to find people who can actually do the job for you in a completely different part of the country which uh doesn't necessarily have the skills that you're chasing or the trade people that you're tracing. Yeah, and yeah, and for people that don't know Papua New Guinea, the point A to point B that you're talking about isn't just down the road, is it? What's the, uh, what's the crossing time? 82 hours, uh, I think it's going to take me. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a quick overnighter. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, so yeah. It, it's, uh, I've got to, uh, I 
run up from uh, Kimby Bay, run up to Rabaul, which is 24 hours, which is the uh, next town uh, closest to uh, mm-hmm. Kimby, uh, where I'll be swapping out my life rafts. Mm. Uh, and then from there, I take a 70, oh, maybe a 62 hour or 60 hour run down to uh, Millen Bay. Um, and yeah, to uh, arrive there hopefully with a day uh, before the charter starts that we can then prep the boat and Mm -hmm. uh, do a bit of food shopping, announce that we're there, uh, have a chat with the local landowners and and everything else that we have to do to get the boat ready and uh, to make sure that things run smoothly for everybody involved. And the last time I was down there, um, I had to cancel one trip uh, which was the return trip from Millen Bay to Rabaul uh, because of COVID. And, um, oh, wow. yeah, that was my very last trip down there. So although I have great memories of Millen Bay, uh, the whole process of being down there is still ma- uh, marred by the memory of uh, the world lockdown. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. the pandemic. I That's think. a nice way to start it back up, though, isn't it? From the start back up from the point where it closed. Oh, no, we, we started up in the uh, middle of August. August the 16th, we started running again. So, uh, okay. yeah, we've had some fantastic charters uh, in and around the Kimby Bay area, running our signatory trips uh, between Fathers and Weetu Islands. I've been putting a bit of exploratory work in. Uh, for my mm. next year's uh, itinerary. Um, is it next mm. year or the year after, actually? might be 2024. We're pretty booked this year. Yeah, 2024. Uh, I've put a couple mm. of uh, extra charters in where I want to go off and do a bit more exploring. Uh, we twos and beyond. There's a few islands out there and some sand caves and some very interesting stuff that I've been discovering. Um Tell you what, tell you what, before we get on to it, because I want to ask you about your little discoveries and what you've got planned. But for, again, people who are listening to this podcast may have not visited Papua New Guinea yet. So let's give them a little bit more of an audible kind of picture of, of, of what we're talking about. Now, if I can start on that, I'll say that to get to Papua New Guinea, most people or all people are going to have to fly into Port Moresby, which is the main city. And then there's no roads that lead out of Port Moresby, so you've got to fly again to, yeah, to, yeah. so any other dive resorts you want to go to, you're going to have to fly again internally. Um, now, there's a number of ways of doing that, but we don't need to go into that. It's simple. It's a flight. Um, but to where uh, Dan has the vessel and Walindi Resort, it, you have to fly from Port Moresby up to New Britain which is, if you look on the atlas, you'll see a, a larger island direct, well, more or less directly north of Port Moresby. Would you say that's fair? Uh, slightly northeast. Yeah, northeast right. of Port All right. Moresby. All right, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> can't, and, I can't um, help myself. Yeah. Sorry, mate. <laughs> so it's uh, 0.2 yeah. degrees south-southeast of. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more than that, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, 
yeah, so if, do you want to take it from there, Dan? You know, if, if guests fly into um, Hodgkins and Hoskins, uh, meet up with you, yep. Hoskins, sorry, and meet up with you guys. Yeah, um, yeah, okay. So obviously picked up at the airport, run out to the resort, spend a night or two in the resort, check out what they've got going on. I believe you've been to Walinda yourself. I've not. You know, it's it's one that true. I've tried. I've tried to go so many times, but for whatever reason, there's always been something that's got in the way as a blocker. It's been a fucking nightmare, and I'm determined to get there. And I, I know yeah. I will. And in fact, yeah. I spoke to Liz Cottrell so many times. Um, yep. About about coming up there, but never had the opportunity yet. Oh, well, you, you know someone who's uh, up there works up there now, so you still keep in contact. <laughs> I'm sure we can make something happen. <laughs> Hell yeah. I want to run some expeditions up there, mate. That's the thing. I want to be uh, bringing people up there. I did it successfully ah. in 2018. We got like 23 guests came to Tufi with me. So I want oh, to try and do beautiful. the same for Will Lindy. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So we'll make that happen. Well, the Oceania holds 16 guests. So uh, if you can make that happen, you're more than welcome uh, to book, <laughs> book on and say good day. Um, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. As I said, uh, we 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 do a little bit of the share this little bit of the uh, same diving that the resort does, but we uh, by no means get out to all of their sites by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, said so they have, uh, I think there's over forty mooring pins out there, yeah. uh, and again, we, things change uh, over time, and they always have their sort of favourites and their set ones that big uh, pinnacles that they have there with huge amounts of uh, fish around are always a uh, crowd pleaser. Uh, the rest of Ireland, uh, if the visibility is good there, it's phenomenal. Um, hmm. Yeah, so uh, we do a couple of those, but uh, realistically for ourselves on the Oceania, we'll be uh, heading out to uh, the Father's Reefs, which is... Uh, south out of Walindi, uh, okay. we head over to where there's a uh, large volcano, uh, Uluwu. I think I've said that right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a volcano everywhere there. You know, you can throw a stick and hit a volcano. It, it's yeah. a ring of fire <laughs> for a reason. Um, yeah. And I do believe that what we're actually diving on is the uh, edge of a very large volcano uh, from many years ago. There's uh, just sea pinnacles coming out from 1,500 metres of water uh, or 500 metres of water in places up to within four or five metres of the surface. Uh, and that's what we're diving on. Uh, and the pinnacles, sea mounds, whatever you want to call them, uh, and we get a lot of uh, a lot of schools of barracudas, sharks, good action out there. And mm. then we'll spend a few days there. Then we head over to uh, the Wetu Islands, and that is again another extinct volcano. And mm. that is uh, uh, northwest of uh, Walindi. Um, or north-northwest of Walindi, uh, head out there, and the diving changes completely again, uh, where we get a huge amount of diversity. We do the uh, critter diving, which is sometimes phrased as muck diving. Uh, yep. But people are always frightened <laughs> of that term. 
So uh, I, I tried to call it critter diving more than muck diving because we're not jumping in a muddy puddle as, as the terminology of muck diving <laughs> might uh, bring to people's uh, imagination. We're jumping in there and we're going down, checking out for frogfish and uh, the associated critters uh, which live in the, uh, in the area. And that's um, uh, so the Witu Islands, that's where the black sand is, isn't it? Black sand dive sites. Yeah, and that's our black okay. sand, volcanic sand areas. Um, mm. Yeah, we get some fantastic diving there. Uh, ribbon eels, uh, manta shrimps, poker stick everywhere you find them. Uh, a lot of frogfish mm. and other bits and pieces, depending on what time of year it is. And, of course, we uh, dive the Lama Shoals, uh, which was named by Jack Cousteau. Mm. Uh, which is uh, which we call by a different name. I'm not sure I'm allowed to mention that uh, the name of it on uh, a podcast, but I'll go for it. You can always edit it out. It's called Cracker Fat. Uh, Cracker Fat. <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah. going to have to explain that uh, now. <laughs> well... So Alan didn't like the name Lama Shoals and he jumped in, he had a look at it, he came back out and uh, he said, blimey, even the jellyfish have stiffies uh, and named it Cracker Fat. <laughs> Any Americans listening, you might go by the name of uh, Papa Chubby, I think. Yeah, I, was, uh, <laughs> I got translated into the other day by uh, a couple of the guests. So, yeah, and that site is just magical. And uh, there's lots more sites like that. So I generally do. We only run four dives on the uh, boat a day. Uh, That way Mm -hmm. we get plenty of surface interval. But the 70-minute dives, um, Mm -hmm. you know, four dives at 70 minutes, uh, we give a good two to three-hour surface interval between each dive. And... uh, well, we f- obviously we feed you in between every dive. What dive boat doesn't? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it, it's a good experience. Uh, we like the way it runs. Uh, uh, so we'll do a couple of big fish dives in the morning, and then onto our critter diving uh, in the afternoon, where we may open up the dive deck depending on how people feel, and we'll just say, "Yeah, go for it." We'll see you back uh, for dinner. Yeah, well, it makes sense. I mean, if you're, if you're going to be doing the pelagic diving in the in the morning, and then people are going to be running low on NDLs for the afternoon, can get the critter diving done, and then those people who don't like the critters can start their GNT while the sun's going down early, can't they? Yeah, pretty much, and we get a fantastic sunset there too. So uh, it's always nice. I can only imagine. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so. Um, let's have a little bit more about the the boat. What's um, it, Where's she come from? How old is she? What size is she? How many people can you take? How many chefs have you got on board? How many dunnies have you got to share? Give us the gossip. <sighs> okay, <laughs> well, here we go. Some shameless, uh, shameless self-publicity. Uh, so the boat was built in 2001 and was refitted back in 2017 when we bought it from a uh, private bloke. Uh, my mate Mark Tickell actually I, I was in Egypt uh, looking at other boats to bring across uh, and then my, my, my friend uh, Mark decided to sell his so came over had a look and went yeah we can work with this uh, mm. I then spent the next eight months gutting it completely 
uh, and turning it into what she is today. So what she is today is a uh, eight-cabined vessel. Uh, we have mm-hmm. five twin twin cabins, three uh, queen queen cabins. Uh, the cabins are all the same. They're all en suite. Uh, I'm sure you don't have to sit on the toilets to take a shower, which I always finds an advantage. Everyone is ocean view, uh, and uh, the twins all have uh, wardrobes in, and uh, they're very comfortable. Um, yeah. And refitted uh, up with uh, individual air con in every cabin. Uh, nice. So you can set it to the temperature that you want to be at and not the temperature which the Eskimo in the end cabin wants to be at. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's the uh, so, and that's all on the dive deck level. Uh, we mm-hmm. then go up a level. Uh, internal staircase takes you up uh, to the saloon area where we have a uh, large uh, saloon uh, dining area. Um, we have uh, it's an open galley, so you can see into the galley. So you always know the food is uh, prepared. And the uh, the house girls are always clean. You can see how everything's being prepared, and you get to chat with them. How how often have you been on a dive boat and the food's just come out of a dark room, and mm. you've got no idea what's been going on behind that uh, door? I like to be a little bit more open and uh, make sure that everyone can see what's coming in and yeah. out. Uh, so, yeah, we've got um, a toilet on the upper level as well. There's a, obviously a toilet on the dive deck uh, with showers. Um, yeah. Uh, Nitrox air on board the boat. Um, yeah, modern facilities, USB chargers in the room, uh, international plug sockets uh, to take everyone's different plugs so no adapters required mm-hmm. um what else have we got ah oh, we've got a dive tender which uh holds uh eight divers or 10 divers at a time it's a 10 meter rigid inflatable with twin uh twin outboards on the boat back of it mm-hmm. which uh, she can go a good pace okay. um yeah she's great yeah she's great Great boat to dive out of. She's got a full dive ladder, very easy to uh, climb in and out of the water with. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. one of the rubber inflatable ones which you've got to try and <laughs> pull yourself over. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> oh, blimey. Here we go. Uh, so, where else? Uh, outside areas. We've got an outside back there area, and then we've got a full sunroof, which uh, mm. takes up the entire top deck the vessel's 27 meters uh long and nine meters wide uh it's a beauty it's a good boat it really is yeah. a good boat yeah i um I, I do remember it coming or well, you kind of advertising that it was coming into papua new guinea i was rather excited about it and uh yeah like you say then, then covid hit us um but um so the routes that you're doing at the moment um, are in and around the islands and down to Milne Bay. Um, you're planning on doing a little bit of cheeky 
exploratory work? Yeah. So over time, everything changes slightly. There is so much of Papua New Guinea which has not been dived, or it may have been dived, but not by me, uh, and it's not commercially <laughs> run. Uh, and so there's a couple of routes I've got sort of um, I've got planned for the upcoming years. One of them is a uh, east coast down uh, New Island. So there's okay. loads of little islands running uh, down there. I'm only doing one of those a year, uh, and I want to try and explore. That's more of the South Pacific side was that, of Papua I'm just New having Guinea. A look. Yeah, I'm just looking at my map now. Did you say that was the east coast of New Island? New Island, yeah. Mm. So you see Lahir and all of the little islands down the side there. Yeah, yeah. And reef systems and all bits and pieces. Uh, I mm. believe there could be some uh, interesting diving down that side of the island. Um, Definitely. I mean, look, look at those. I'll have to put these into the podcast, and you know, so people can have a, a look at them as well. But those those channels that you can see in the in the seabed are massive. Yep. Everyone be, loves the channel. Be, yeah, there's got to be some good currents going through there. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, so yeah, we'll be running down there, uh, running from Kaviang round to Rabaul. Um, mm-hmm. so Willindy Rabaul is one of our regular, uh, mid-year itineraries, uh, to get away from the winter cold in Australia. We run that, uh, <laughs> but, uh, and where else? There's so many butts and errs. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we can. It's all editable. Um, so heading out to We Two, We Two and beyond. Uh, so this is my idea that yes, the diving the fathers is fantastic, but there is also great diving out at the We Two Islands. And I've been sneaking out a little bit further uh, over the last couple of months to uh, open up a couple of reefs which we've not done before. Uh, there's mm. The island out there, which is uninhabited, and there's Ooh. a couple of safe anchorages around, and so it's unfished. It's in the middle of nowhere, and uh, there's a large sand cay out there. From the small experience that we've had halfway to the island, uh, we've been jumping in, uh, cracking the plastic bottle, if you know what I mean. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen it done. And um, we've been mobbed by sharks. Uh, on mm. average, we've been getting 12 plus grey gray reefies swimming around and uh, three, four silver tips coming in and investigating. Uh, nice. And at that point, I tell the guys to crack the bottle some more and they just look at me like I'm an idiot and, ha- and offer it to me. And it's like, well, yeah. you bloody do it. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> No, and we've been finding some really good diving out there. I'm hoping Don's got some uh, cracking shots. Uh, he was on the last charter with us where we did a couple of them. And, uh, yeah, we found one, uh, call it middle of nowhere, and the other one is the middle of nowhere. And then the other one, oh, yeah, still trying to work out names, obviously, for them all. Uh, there's one which is just like a, the castle. It's like a starts from 40 meters soft corals all all over this huge pinnacle coming up to sort of 
15 meters of water and it's a soft coral ridge running down and then this healthy magnificent coral everywhere i'm hoping mm. that it's going to turn out to be a uh, ray cleaning station uh ah, with only yeah one. big currents come through there and they've got to get cleaned somewhere uh, hey I'm, I'm 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 gonna i'm gonna mention a, a a name of an island here and i'm gonna edit it out so sorry listeners you're not gonna li- you're not gonna hear it um dan are you talking around aha that's it for part one folks stay tuned for part two and more exciting episodes and don't forget add us in your library so you get notified with each episode drop bye for now this is scuba go, 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 go. the podcast for the inquisitive diver